0: Welcome to Green Mountain Disability Stories, a series of conversations by, with, and for Vermonters with disabilities. We're talking about disability in Vermont, the Green Mountain State. In this episode of the show, David Fry is a gay Vermonter with disabilities. He shares some of the struggles he's gone through to find long-term employment and sustainable housing, as well as the strategies he's used to be successful. From his childhood in rural Barnett, Vermont, to hosting his own public access television show, PrideAbility, David shares his journey and his advice to other people with disabilities in Vermont. Let's listen.
1: Great. So my name is Adrian Miao, and I am the Peace Pro Coordinator and a Community Services for Function Coordinator at CDCI. And I'm really happy to have David Fry joining me today. And he's here. Um, he is a member of our Community Advisory Council here at CDCI and a disability advocate in the community. And also he is um, a member of the Vermont community who grew up here and can speak to what it was like going through the school system. The healthcare systems um, and how he ended up moving out into the community, getting a job and has lived in a few different towns um, throughout Vermont. So David, thank you for joining us today. Thank
2: you. Thank you for having me.
1: Um, so this is just a casual conversation, but I thought maybe David, you could start us off by just telling us a little bit about um, your family, where you grew up um, and what it was like in your
2: early years. So I was growing up uh... A very rural area of Vermont, uh, Barnet, Vermont, and uh, where everybody went to high school was Saint John'sbury, Saint John'sbury Academy, and uh, I was diagnosed with uh, a disability probably when I was born, and I was put in to. Uh, a day program after kindergarten uh for a very, very long time, and i to me, I really didn't feel that I needed to be in that setting i I just it wasn't for me uh, and I wanted to get out of it, but it was just like it was like pulling teeth, you know you know you couldn't talk to anybody it was. It was disgrading it was uh it was uh the teachers were um very uh at the time they were very degrading to 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 kids and and being in that setting. And we went from one building to another. It was called the St. Johnsbury Community School at the time. Uh, it, they, we we went from one building to another for lunch every day to have our lunch hot lunch program, and that building held a lot of older people with disabilities that uh, were severe disability uh, So when state of Vermont closed Brandon uh, about the base uh, the ba- same time when parents got together and closed that day program uh, and then we were mainstreamed into schooling. I gotta tell you. When they did that, it was just like something was lifted off me and saying, "You're human. <laughs> you can be in a regular school." You know, I I gotta tell you, I went uh, when I, I was still in special ed uh, in middle school, but they gave me the option to take social studies, which I I had no idea what social studies was all about, but I loved it. I loved to to be with other students that didn't have a disability. And I've got to tell you that it helped them to have people come in to their classroom with a disability. It was just like it was heaven, why didn't they do this 20 years ago, you know? That was way back in the 70s. Uh, so, uh, it was it was something. And then, I went to high school, and uh, I was still in special ed, but they gave me the options to to take classes that were more hands on they stuck me in friggin drafting i i knew nothing about numbers or anything about uh drafting i don't know why they did that and but i i, I was i guess they just wanted me to get the, try to get that credit uh and i didn't understand it at all i even had i went in Back to special ed, and I said, you either got two things gotta happen. You either gotta get me out of there, or else you've gotta have somebody come in with the the teacher that is teaching the class for drafting and and show me, you know, what numbers are all about. You know, I I no clue about numbers or triangles or oh, that was a hard class. But I got to tell you, I took culinary arts, and that gave me a permanent job. Uh, I've been doing food service work for the last almost 57 years or or 56 years of my life. Uh, I have an awesome, awesome uh, work ethic. I've uh, worked... uh, uh, St. Jay Academy for fifteen years, prior taking culinary art uh, class, and then I was a stu- you know—I was a student, and then I was an employee. I worked there for fifteen years. Uh, I got fired uh, after the fifteen years. Become uh, coming out as gay. Uh, what that did to me. Uh, it was just terrible. Uh, um, we didn't have the laws to protect people that, in the LGBTQIA, uh, movement back then, back in the, uh, mid-80s, to protect people from losing their job, uh, I had no services at the time. The only thing I had was Volk Rehab. Uh, they weren't uh, a huge help trying to find a job, so I went out on my own, cold turkey, and I said, "I have a a wonderful work ethic. I worked at Saint Jude Academy for fifteen years. I so I." One day I just, it was uh, beginning of our, uh, November. I just picked myself up and went to Mount Washington New, uh, in New Hampshire. Uh, stepped into one of their uh, uh, restaurants and looked for the chef. Sat down and I had a job right there on the spot. Stayed there for seven years. I learned really a lot more adequate uh, cooking or, or garmagee work, uh, uh, beautiful dining, uh, five diamond resort. Uh, so I learned what Garmaje was all about. I learned uh, different kind of food techniques uh, after that uh, my mother and my sister were were moving over here in Burlington and I said I I like living here at the, at the hotel and 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 just walking downstairs and going to work but it really isn't a life uh, so seven years I I came over here to Burlington and uh, I did it again with no services. Uh, I answered an ad uh, at a uh, nursing home as a cook. <laughs> I said, well, I don't know if I can do it, but, you know, I'm going to try because I, I had to have something. From working as a prep person, you know, doing salads to being a full-time cook, that was a huge, huge undertaking for me to take. But I said, I got to try. I got to try. And I I did it. I, I mean, I was doing it. I just couldn't believe I was doing it. I, I was making entrees. I was making salads. I was... Uh, making desserts for, like, 70 or 80 people in in that nursing home, and I was doing it. Uh, They fired me because uh, uncircumcised things that they didn't like or something. And so then in the middle of that, of transitioning, of... uh, on not having services, my mother at the time was working at CCS, taking care of a person that was plegic and she says, you really need to get services. And I had to have an IQ test, and uh, I got services through Howard. Um, that was huge, having a, a case manager having someone come into my job trying to and this was before I had gotten fired. I want you I want to paint the picture, you know. <laughs> so I had someone to come on the job and that was basically showing me what to do, what I had to do, and uh uh so after they had let me go She had lined up another job uh, working at Wake Robin. Uh, So uh, I went in for the interview with the uh, uh, case manager at the time, and I got that job. And I think the reason why I got all these jobs is because I had such... A great work ethic. And it started from me getting having that trade position at school. And I think that's where it all began. Uh so now you do you wanna Can
1: come? I can, yeah, can I ask you some sure. follow-up and please feel free to chime in. David, I feel like I really appreciate you sharing your story. And there's a few different things that jump out to me. Um, One is how hard the transitions have been every time you have moved jobs or moved locations and all the sort of things that you have had to do to qualify for services and how helpful those services have been. Um, And then I'm struck when you were talking about school sort of, you went from a school that was specialized, but only gave you this really limited view of the future, right? You only saw these older adults who right, were living there, um, did not have...
2: And I felt this big. I, I felt like I had no life. I felt, I felt like I'll never have the life like other kids will have.
1: Right, and you didn't you know, get to see people with disabilities in the community, right? You were seeing only I this was, very... I saw
2: them every day in that school. Narrow, and, yeah. And how the teachers taught, you know, how the teachers just behaved, and it was just so wrong. Um, you know, back in the 70s, Saint, little town of St. Johnsbury wasn't... Uh, it was poor. I mean, very poor, and... Students came in that were uh, not hygiened right, uh, that might have not taken showers every day like everybody does. And this teacher took took one of the kids and took her right over to the sink and washed her hair and said, this is the way I want it done every day. And I always had my... I always continuously had my fingers in my mouth. I was telling Andrea this, and she had some hot, hot sauce or some hot consistent stuff. Mm. So she would stick my hand, my hand, my fingers in that. She says, "Now bite your nails or or put your fingers in your mouth." And you know that should never happen. Not you know should never happen.
1: Right. And you did describe some pretty terrible incidents where it did not seem like
2: And then I we went over to that other building and I work for a nursing home and you can't strap people in chairs. And at the time people would well, the disability, people would be bent over, you know, rocking or something like that, and they'd be so strapped into their chairs. And I'm saying, I, I say it today. It, you know, this isn't this isn't right. It's not the way we should be treated. Yeah, it was horrid. It was just horrible.
1: Can you talk more about what it was like to suddenly enter the mainstream middle school?
2: Like I said before, when we when we were mainstreamed and we went to middle school, it was like something had lifted off my head and, like, 20 years had just had lifted and, like, we're human. <laughs> like... We could go to different classes and being normal kids and being accepted for who we are. And I don't know, just that it was a wonderful feeling. Very wonderful.
1: It sounds like you were then able to sort of imagine a lot more possibilities for what Your future could look like you were able to try some different classes. You were like, no, not drafting, but maybe, (laughs) maybe the culinary arts.
2: Um, I took culinary arts. I, I, I just I liked it. I liked. uh, uh, I had, well, I I had a full time job there too uh, after I had graduated, and uh, I was making their pizzas, and uh like they would scale the flour out they would scale the sugar out they would measure the honey they would you know i would have to learn all those skills which i did and how you know how yeast worked and how to how uh, to make pizza dough and how to make spaghetti sauce and uh uh, how to serve people, how to serve students. Uh, it was, it was, it was all fun. And we
1: talked a little bit before, David. You said that your um, work in the culinary arts program in high school became your first job after high school, right? And you were thinking maybe about going to college, and had some conversations with your teachers I, about that. I
2: brought it up to my supervisor and my boss. I said I really would like to go to college for this and he said to me he said David I think you don't need to go to college for it he says you're learning the best that you can do and that would be hands on material and he said you're learning you know maybe not from the book or, or, or from what what instructor would show you but he said, you're learning from hands-on material. And uh, I took that. I, I said, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, and I was learning every day. And, and you know, we would do uh, catering events and weddings. And, uh, and then when I went to Mount Washington Hotel, it was much more, uh, you know, Higher grade of weddings and, you know, uh, catering events and uh, right. working in a much beautiful dining experience. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so can I also ask you? So um, I know that your first job out of school was based on sort of this experiential experience. We talked about reading was an area that was pretty challenging for you in school.
2: So reading was terrible at first. And uh, every weekend I had to go to a tutor. And uh, she taught me so good in reading uh, that I caught it on real fast. And she was so good at her job, Uh, but it it took every single weekend, not, you know, going to school, and then on the weekends, I would go see a tutor for reading. I had to do it. You know, my parents had to pay for that extra tutor to teach me how to read, and uh, I read pretty good today.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think you really, your story is really showing us a blend of the services that really helped you thrive in your school setting. But being with other peers was so important to you for how you felt about going to school um, and wanting to be there and wanting to learn new skills. Yeah. And I know you've mentioned that you felt like um, it was very beneficial for your peers to be in an inclusive environment too. Did you feel like, um, your peers were quite accepting when you first made that transition. Were you nervous about going into the school?
2: I think at first we were. I think uh, you know it was a new environment for us to take. Uh, I I think that you know by taking that step of uh, into a different world and a different teaching that it was curious. Uh, and once we once I did it, I liked it. I I enjoyed it uh, and, and I just love the correspondence of the different atmosphere of, of other students uh, accepting us as people as, with a disability it, to be in their in their classroom. And I I didn't feel, I didn't feel sheltered anymore. And and what a, what that made me feel at that time. That was terrible. <laughs>
1: um, I know that some people had written in asking about home ex- accessibility and David's family didn't really um, make modifications to the house. But I know we talked, David, a lot about access to the community and getting your driver's license in high school.
2: So I took a driver's ed course in in high school and my parents pushed me. They said you are going to drive and you are going to get a job. Uh, you can't you can't you know, I and, and I think why they they pushed me because we were in such a rural area Barnett, Vermont. I mean, we were out in the sticks, uh, out in the country, and you, you had no transportation. You had no bus everything every day like you would have in Burlington, Vermont. You had to rely on wheels. <laughs> and so my parents said, you will drive. And so uh, they wanted me to take the driver's ed course at St. Jay Academy, I took it. Uh, the The written test it was a little bit hard for me. I think I flunked twice, but the third time I got I got it. I got it. <laughs> and uh, then I got my first car, and uh, <laughs> uh, I I you know I remember like uh, a couple times when I had to. Go from home to St. J. Academy to to go to work. If I, I it wasn't that far from uh, St. J. Academy, but I I knew nothing about how to change a tire or how to how to how to uh, um, check your oil. Or I remember I was almost there and my tire blew. I said, Oh. God, I hope I can get up this hill. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I gum that sucker, <laughs> and I got up that hill with a flat tire. I mean, it was almost off its, uh, uh, almost off its uh, wheel. wheel. Oh my God! And I, so I called my mother or call called somebody. And I said, You're gonna have to come cha- change this tire. I don't know how to. T- <laughs> That's happened twice to me, but... So, <laughs> skills like that, I mean, like changing a tire or, 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 you know, anything about your car, I mean, it's so important. Ugh. Then they're done that.
1: Yeah. I think we were talking a little bit about um, life skills in, in schools and certainly in high school, thinking about after high school um, and... Probably there are a lot of high school students that have to rely on family to teach them things like yeah. how to check the oil or change yeah. the tire. And we know that there are plenty of people who don't know how to do that. <laughs> that yeah, um, and
2: Or for a, a light's going off in the car, and you say, oh, what's that, what's that light about? I'm go to look. <laughs> yeah.
1: Can you talk a little bit about... Um, moving into housing apart from your family for the first time?
2: So, when I first came to to Burlington, and I I was living with my mother at the time, uh, and then uh, when I got services, uh, I applied for Section 8 housing, and... uh, I got an apartment, and uh, I got onto the Section Eight uh, voucher program. And uh, living on my own, uh, it it was it, it's great. Uh, uh, learning to balance your checkbook, learning to. Pay bills. Uh, learning to pay rent on time was uh, a task for me, but you know, I, I did to the best of my ability, and now I'm I I'm on social uh, disability, Social Security, so I have a payee, uh, which is tremendously. I mean, I don't even have to worry about paying rent. the The payee, it goes right to the to the people that need the money out of my social, out of my disability, social security, and I didn't never had that before. And I'll tell you, well, I'll tell you a little story about trying to get disability. Uh, um, I waited for almost two years, and I was completely out of money. And. I had a case manager at, at the time at Howard Center. And we were just plumb out of ideas trying to get my disability. And I said to him one day, I said it. He didn't he didn't he never thought about this. I said, we're almost out of, I mean, I'm almost, you know, poor as poop here. I can't even pay for anything. And the doctor wanted me to cut my hours because, uh, you know, trying to get on disability. And um, I said to the case manager, I said, well, let's go out and talk to Bernie Sanders' office. So, And that was out of my thinking. So I took all the paperwork I had from the doctors. I had taken all the paperwork from Howard. We brought it right on up to old Bernie Sanders' office, gave him all that paperwork. Within two weeks, I was on disability. And that was a wonderful thing. Uh, You know, Bernie helps people in need, and that man, I praise him today. Oh.
1: So I think you're getting us to the topic of advocacy. You had to do...
2: I had to do that. I had to tell the case manager, say, look, we're not getting anywhere with you people doing anything. Let's go to Bernie Sanders' office. And I laid down the law. And I said, let's go right on up there.
1: So when would you say you started to think of yourself as an advocate?
2: Well, when you start helping yourself and when you start thinking about what you need and and you know when I came out I'm gonna I'm gonna get get into the role of GLBTQIA stuff now
1: yeah happy pride uh, month. happy pride <laughs> month
2: everybody so next I don't know what episode I'm on but uh I've started a show called Prideability. And uh, I taught I interview people with disabilities that are LGBTQIA, and that's what the show is all about. I've I've inter- interviewed John Kalakie. I've interviewed Eli Clare. I've interviewed uh, numerous people with uh, disabilities that are are LGBTQIA and uh, people uh, when I started doing this kind of work uh, and I really felt the need for collaborating with the LGBTQ people with disabilities it's because I've got a disability, I'm gay and you know, why can't we be human? Why can't we be proud of who we are in our own skin? And I I think a lot of people think that people with disabilities can't have a sexuality, can't can't have can't be human, period. And and I think that's really sad. I really think that we need to be human and we have all the feelings of a regular person has. And that's why I started the the program at Vermont Pride because we need a space. We We need to be who we are and and why can't we be who we are and, and 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 i just think that's sad i i and and i think we've come a long ways but we need to do more work and uh you got you guys just need to go to my uh uh interviews on youtube and look up prideability
1: we will send out the links so that you can all see the um, the current PrideAbility episodes. And I think there are some new ones coming the, down the pipeline. There's, <laughs> there's
2: some new ones coming down the pipeline. Uh, COVID has really struck uh, a lot of things. And I haven't done a show for like two and a half years because of COVID. And tomorrow I'm back in the studio doing another more episodes of the PrideAbility show. And I can't wait awesome. So if you people know anybody with a disability that's LGBTQIA, send them my way. I'd love to interview them. Definitely.
1: Um, so David, I, I feel like um, you were talking about how you had to become an advocate just to navigate all these systems, case management, disability benefits, um, getting housing vouchers, and and job transitions. So you... You had to advocate for yourself because the systems are really complicated. Sometimes
2: the systems just don't work. And sometimes you have to speak up for yourself. And, and and I think people with disabilities, we need to be part of the table. We need to be at the table expressing what we need and and what we, you know, how we need it and what, you know, when we need it. And... Uh, I think even at the state level, I think even at the, you know, state house level, we need to be at the table.
1: Absolutely. Um, And I'm wondering, too, then, it seems like for you it was a natural progression to take aspects of your identity and then become an advocate. And you were the one that approached the Vermont Pride Center, right, and said, could we start a disability community group within the Pride Center to really create space?
2: Yes. And so I went to our local I I, Well, why I started, well, how this ever became. I went to a national conference uh, before I had ever thought about doing this kind of work. And I went to a a workshop, and it was... uh, I don't know what state it was. It was probably uh, Missouri or something, and uh, it was an LGBTQ uh, workshop. And how, and 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 they expressed about. I don't even know if it was a workshop that I went to, but it somehow I, I was flying back home. And I had this vision. And I said, tomorrow, I'm gonna get home, I'm gonna pick up that phone, and I'm gonna call my local gay and lesbian chapter, and I'm gonna ask them about starting an LGBTQIA sport group. And I did just that. And they said, come on in. And I went in, told them my idea, and they gave me the space, and whether any, whether I, I had one person come in, whether I had two people come in, sometimes I would have five people come in, they listened to me. They, they listened to how important it was to have a space for us, a space for us to feel good about us to be in our own skin, to be our own sexuality. And uh, and then I got Activists of the Year uh, award. I, I can't remember what year that was, and then I got another award for for just thinking of this and in starting this in Vermont. And you know. Thank you. It's just it's wonderful, and we need this as people in Vermont.
1: We definitely do, and we really thank you for your advocacy efforts. I think we were talking about how, um, you know, the community has a lot to learn from people with disabilities about inclusivity, um, and I think that also we talked about there's a lot of information that would be also. Customize to people with disabilities about relationships about oh, yeah. sex and so that also having space for that is a really important service, too So so both of those um, Really enhancing our communities um, Can I ask you what's coming next. You you have done so much interesting stuff. You currently are on the um, advisory council for the CDCI. We yep. really appreciate that you I'm
2: on the review board.
1: our work and give us <laughs> ideas. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I, well, you know, I I think for the ADI uh conference, like I suggested to you, there's no plain language <laughs> at these uh uh workshops and uh you know, for people with disabilities, I've been to uh, quite a few disability council, uh, uh, you know, conferences, and they've gotta be down to a level where we understand. And the ADA... Uh, the AUCD conference. Is just not... Yep. Plain language.
1: So David and I were fortunate to both attend um, The Association of University Centers on Disability Conference this year. Um, So it's other centers like CDCI. uh, They're all focused on disability services in the community. And we were reflecting on um, how accessible the conference itself was or was not and some feedback and suggestions for how to improve um, the accessibility of the event, which I think coincides with um, what the Advisory Council has been helping CDCI with this year, really thinking about the accessibility of our own meetings, events, materials, and trying to work on that um, to improve access to the community, right? Um, Yeah. So that's definitely a big topic to be working on and a really exciting topic to work on. So, David, you've taken us through um, a whole lot of your life story and a whole lot of topics. I do want to just ask if there's any um, questions from the audience. We have about 15 minutes left. So if you do have other um, questions that you want to ask David, he's been very generous and is pretty open to to talking about all things. (laughs) So please feel free to pop on um, or to put those in the chat.
3: This is Pam. Hi, David. I'm Pam Cummings, and I am a physical therapy consultant at CDCI. Um, I work mostly with very young children, um, as many of us on this call actually work with children. Um, Do you have advice for families in how to work on teaching their children to be self-advocates?
2: I would say uh, to join... You know when, when they're old enough to join a Green Mountain, uh, the Green Mountain South Advocates uh, to do it, because um, once you join their Green Mountain South Advocates, um, there's so many doors that can be opened. There there is a a leadership weekend that uh, that they do every year, and I find that uh, what, what after I had done that was I'm on the DD Council now and uh, I'm on their policy committee, uh, I'm on their exec, executive director's committee. Uh, I, I find we all need a voice in, in all of these platforms. And uh, to start, get involved with Green Mountain South Advocates. I really think that's important. Uh, I also think uh, by going to our state our, sta- our, our state conference here in Burlington every year with Green Mountain South Advocates, that helps. There's a lot of really, really great workshops at that every year. We did one on, this year we did one on closing Brandon. And I had John Kalaki came in and talking to an old legislator that had, uh, you know, he's retired now. Uh, It was so moving. It was such a great, great uh, workshop. and to have him come in. It was wonderful.
1: And David, you're talking about the closure of the Brandon Training School in 1993.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So that's the 30th anniversary this year for closing Brandon. And, And, you know, Vermont, I think, has come a long ways for closing our only institution and closing all the day programs. But... We still need to we still need to work on things and housing is is huge at the State House right now uh, for people with disabilities uh, uh, Kirsten Murphy was saying uh, the, the the housing model that the hotel models are going to be going away and uh, that's huge, uh, they're talking about that, uh, there's other case management, uh, issues that are in the legislature. uh, so, I, I've been on that, uh, the DD Council for a number of years, and I, I really get a lot out of that, I'm going to their, uh, state conference next month in Orlando in July. So, <laughs> it'll be hot. <laughs> it's gonna be hot. Thank
3: you. Yeah, that's a really good idea and thinking about um uh if if parents can join the Green Mountain Sub Advocates and and get their kids involved when they're old enough to be part of be part of it. It's a great yeah. idea. Thanks. Um do you still work at um uh, Wake Robin.
2: I still work at Wake Robin. Yeah. I've been there fifteen years.
3: Wow! I grew up in Shelburne, um, and I you're very lucky. That's a beautiful place to be to spend your time. Even just driving there, what yeah. a what a gorgeous location.
2: They have their annual uh, yard sale. This is another thing that I do that you probably you, that you guys don't know about me is I buy and sell antiques. And I've been doing it for a number, number of years. And you'll see me at the Waterbury flea market. And I'm all I also sell sell stuff at the uh, uh, at the university mall at the antique shop there. And so I love antiques. I I guess you could call me an antique, Uh, but uh, you know, I I I love turning something that maybe I've bought in $10 and turning it into a $100 profit. So I, and I've done that a couple of times. So
3: <laughs> my husband loves that Waterbury flea market. I will so we go, so you'll we probably see you. me down there this weekend. <laughs> <How are you? laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> David,
1: I wanted to ask, I, I've heard you talk a little bit about um Needing inclusive spaces and housing options, particularly for people with disabilities who are LGBTQIA, um, and that that is an additional challenge. Sometimes when we think about housing, is um, that sometimes people have had not such great experiences in the inclusivity, both as people with disabilities and people. Well, who are I was in those.
2: I was in those. Uh, oh. Uh. The, the models where you'd have, uh, I can't remember the name of them. Uh, Were
1: you living with a family? Families.
2: Mm-hmm. So I, I've been in a couple of those homes. And uh, the models didn't really work for me. Uh, being a gay man, I was put into a... Uh, uh, a woman's home that was straight. She had children, uh, and I felt very isolated for being, uh, being me and with her family. And so that didn't work for me. And then I got out of that one and went into, uh, two, two people that were gay, uh, and lived with lived with them, uh, and they they had this beautiful home uh, uh, in Jericho, and uh, they were clean freaks, <laughs> and uh, they wanted me to be just so they they didn't want my, you know, after working eight hours I f- smelled like food, and so they gave me a thing of token powder to put some powder in my shoes and told me that my room's gotta be just so and so the the housing models never really worked for me because I couldn't be who I wanted to be or or, or be myself. And then I lived it, lived with somebody else that they were vegan. Well, I don't eat vegan food. And, it, it, you know, honey, I like to have all kinds of food, and I ain't eating freaking vegan food. I'm sorry. Uh, so the housing models, and there was a conflict of interest with that because uh, the case manager at the time at Howard, I really, really liked my case manager, and her boss was the one that uh, was living uh, was living I, I was living with, so there was a conflict of interest having her as a case manager, and I had to give up a great case manager. So I got fed up with Howard because of all these stigmatizations, and then I said, "I'm going to go." and, and uh, join a, a CCS. So another thing that uh, people with disabilities should know and they, they don't tell us is if you're not ha- happy with the services you're getting through Howard, you can go to CCS. Or if you're not happy with the services you get through CCS, you can go to Howard. I mean, there's only two options in Burlington. But, you know, but they don't tell us that. And I tell, The case managers never told us that. And then I, I asked one day, I said, okay, if I'm not happy with your services here, then what can I do? Well, you can go to CCS. So, people need to be told up front. About their services if they're not happy.
1: Well, and David, this is why I really appreciate having you bringing an adult perspective and speaking to a lot of providers that are working with children. Because I, you've had so many different experiences of the different education models, the housing models, some of the sort of highs and lows of different workplace settings, and I, yeah, I just feel like you. This is why people with disabilities have to be at the table because you have personally dealt with so many of the I've been
2: there done it done it all
1: Points of the systems um, that is hard to to conceptualize if you haven't been there and done that. Yeah I know we just have about five minutes left are there any other questions that anyone wants to ask before we let you go?
2: I hope you all learned something today. I taught you something
1: yeah. What should we what should we tell um, the children that, that we work with? What is the best thing we can do to help set them up for success?
2: I, I think what I would tell them is to join Greenmount self advocates and 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 to learn to speak for yourself mm. and learn that You know, we need to be at the table when decisions are being made for us. Uh, Maybe it's too early for them to understand right now about that, but down the road, they need need to be at the table because there's too many decisions being made for us that if we're not at the table, decisions are being made for us and we've got no say in the matter and that's just totally wrong.
1: Yeah, it's a really powerful message. I hear you saying that kids need to, um, need to be taught to advocate for themselves, that joining groups and feeling like they belong in the community is really important. Exactly. And taking pride in your identity um, or your identities from a young age is really important to feeling welcomed in the community.
2: Exactly. I'm a little curious, David, what age you think Green Mountain advocates, self-advocates would be appropriate for? Like when could the students be in kind of introduced to that idea, thinking about all the students that go through, so I work in a PT in a school district, all the students that go through there and the case managers that might be able to help orchestrate that connection, at what age level do you think it's appropriate to kind of start that Connection with Green Mountain self-advocates. Well, they have another program at CCS called bridging and it's for kids that are that learn the self-advocacy skills and um, It starts I I don't think Howard has a program like this but bridging is a program at CCS. I think they start them at, uh, I, I want to say eighth grade. And then, when you, when your child has graduated from high school, and and I think that is the time when you when they can join Green Mountain Self Advocates. I don't really know the the age frame of it, but uh, Karen Topper, GMSA, well, Greenmount self-advocates, would be the one to get a hold of about uh, asking about age, uh, um, you know, what what the age equivalencies are for joining that group. Um, but there, there is a program called Bridging and uh, I don't know how many kids uh, Emily Anderson has for that, but it's a very, very popular popular group uh, that she educates people with disabilities in that. Yeah, I have some some friends that have gone through the bridging program, and so that's why I was kind of curious. It sounds like bridging might be... Just that a bridge towards Green towards your five. GMSA. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay.
1: It does make me think just about yeah. schools having like gay straight alliances and whether at a school level carving out more sort of alliance space for students with disabilities in like an advocacy way would be a step towards um, some of the skills that you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And Emily Anderson would be a wonderful person to get a hold of uh, about that bridging program. She's at CCS.
1: Well, you've given us a lot to reflect on. Thank you so much for joining us, David. Thanks to everyone for making time today. And I'm just happy to have the conversation. It is one o'clock now, so I wanna let everyone go, but we will be um, editing parts of the conversation and and releasing that as a CDCI podcast also. Um, And if you have other questions or follow-ups, please feel free to email those to me and we will send out links. Um, I know they were shared also in the chat too. The Prideability Podcast, in case you want to check that
0: out. You've been listening to Green Mountain Disability Stories, a series of conversations by, with, and for Vermonters with disabilities. We've been talking and listening to experiences with disability in Vermont, the Green Mountain State. The music for our show is by Soul June, an audio library release. This show is a production of the Center on Disability and Community Inclusion at the University of Vermont. You can find out more about the center by visiting go.uvm.edu/cdci. Thanks for listening.